0: Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. So in 2004, I had just graduated from college and I got my first job at a church, as a pastor, I was the assistant pastor at Risen King Alliance Church, which was the church that I attended in college. And I moved into the office on my first day. I was 22 years old. I'd never really been a pa- I'd never been a pastor before. I'd taught, a- taught some Bible studies and done some preached in churches, but I'd never actually been a pastor. And so I got into my office, and they had an office for me, and it was just a desk, a bookshelf. A filing cabinet and bare walls, and I started putting my books in the bookshelf, and I, you know, had nothing to put in the filing cabinet, so I just put some blank papers in there to feel important. And I got a computer for my desk, but the the walls were still very, very bare. And at this point, Kendra and I were dating, but we were not engaged, and we were not even married yet, and we obviously had no kids. And I had no dog, and so I didn't have pictures to put on the wall. I didn't have a picture of a a wife or kids or family or dog or anything to put on the wall. And so those first few weeks, I started to accumulate uh, pictures to put on the wall so that the office and the walls wouldn't be so bare. And I decided to have kind of a theme in the office, and I decided to find pictures of uh, God's manifest presence in the Bible And put them in frames on the wall So for instance, so you might say What do you mean manifest presence, what does that mean? Any time where you can perceive Meaning see with your eyes or hear with your ears uh, or, or touch or feel or smell God's presence, that's called his manifest presence So an, an example would be, I had a picture It was just an illustration of the pillar of fire and cloud that led Israel through the wilderness. I found a picture that I liked online and I ordered it and got it framed and put it up on the wall and that was the picture. So I think you're seeing a picture behind me, yeah, of Moses in the burning bush. This was actually painted by a French man named Marc Chagall, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, in 1966. So I did not have this painting, but I had pictures and and illustrations like this Of places where God showed up in the Bible that were like visible and tangible manifestations of God's presence. So I had the I had the pillar of fire, I had a cloud over a mountain, and I I did have a picture of a burning bush. It wasn't this painting that you're seeing, but I would put these around my office as a reminder that God shows up and sometimes it is tangible the way God shows up. I know that God is everywhere. I know that God is everywhere and God is all the time, but sometimes he chooses to reveal himself in a way that is almost impossible to miss. And so the burning bush is one of those stories. I want to read the story of Moses and the burning bush from Exodus chapter three. If you have a Bible, go to Exodus chapter three, but this will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Exodus chapter three, verses one through six, and then verses 13 through 15. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And then if you go to verses 13 through 15, Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name and what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God, furthermore, said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. All right, so let's review this story really quickly. If you saw the movie The Prince of Egypt, they put a ton of effort into this story, and I really. I like the way that they did that scene in the movie. This is one of those stories that for me, I always have to picture in my mind. And so I picture Moses in the burning bush. So if you could throw that painting back up uh, that, yeah, I, I chose this illustration because if you know the story, this illustration actually covers a lot Or this painting. You see Moses there is on his knees. What's behind Moses? You probably see some sheep, right? And You'll see that Moses is not wearing any shoes. Now, he's a shepherd in the wilderness. Why is Moses not wearing any shoes? Well, we read in the passage that God told him to remove his sandals because he was on holy ground, and so the artist captures that. You see the burning bush... Uh, it's, it's in a story. It's a bush that is not being consumed, meaning uh, it's not burning. It's full of flame, but the f- it's not shriveling up. It's not turning black. It's not creating so- or smoke. It's it's a supernatural fire, and uh, that, if you can uh, just think about this for a moment, God is capable of creating supernatural fire. Um, Fire needs three things to exist. It needs oxygen, it needs fuel, and it needs a spark. You can't have fire without those three things. Well, the pillar of fire that led Israel through the wilderness didn't have fuel. It wasn't, they weren't burning up wood. They weren't burning up objects. That was a supernatural fire. God created that and God sustained that. So you have this burning bush. You'll see above the burning bush, there's an angel, right? Well, that's the angel of the Lord that we read about in verse four of this passage. And then right above the, uh, f- the f- burning bush, you'll see a white circle, and in there are four Hebrew letters that spell the name of Yahweh, we call that the sacred tetragrammaton it 's a four letter word that represents god 's name. We pronounce that Yahweh. Some Bible translations will will call it Ye- jehovah, or it might just tra- translate it lord in your pa- in your Bible if your Bible has capital L capital o, capital R, capital D for lord it 's probably referring to Yahweh and out of respect instead of putting God's name they put Lord as just kind of a sign of reverence. Now I'm of the uh, mindset that if God wants us to know his name then we're allowed to use his name as long as we use it with reverence. So God's actual name is Yahweh. That's his formal name. Uh, When we refer to God as God that's more of a title or a, more like a categorical statement, you know. Um, but when we refer to the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, his name that he told us, we didn't give him this name, he told us that his name is Yahweh. And so that's what you see above the, the bush is the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. yod heh is how it's spelled in Hebrew. Now, really quickly, Moses responds to this experience with wonder, with reverence, and the fear of the Lord. Okay, he sees this bush, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but you probably caught it in the passage again today. He sees this bush, and he says, I'm going to turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. So he has some wonder. Then God tells him to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground, and in reverence, he agrees to that. And then when he realizes who he's talking to, it says he actually hides his face because he didn't want to look at God, and I'll explain that a little bit later. But there's wonder, reverence, and the fear of the Lord is his response here. When we have moments with God, I think it's important that we respond similar to how Moses did. Wonder, which is kind of a sense of holy curiosity. I I want to know more. I want to lean into this. Also, reverence, which is responding to God correctly. And then finally, the fear of the Lord, which is... Uh, I don't know how to say it other than just a recognition that God could take you out at any moment. And the fact that he hasn't is grace and mercy. And the fact that he hasn't means you're here for a reason Uh, because if he wanted to get you, he could have got you by now, right? But you're still here, so he's got a reason for that. All right, so I didn't want to really look at Moses' response in full today. I actually want to look at all the dynamics that are going on in this story. And I want to look at exactly what is Moses learning about God in this so let me pick up in verse two uh, the angel the, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush and Moses looked and behold the bush was burning with fire yet the bush was not consumed and then in verse three Moses says "I have to go look at this I'm going to turn aside now so Moses sees this bush it's on fire but it's not being consumed it's not cr- producing smoke the wood is not turning black the leaves aren't being burned up yet it's on fire right so he's curious about that who is it or what is it that is in the bush creating this it says the angel of the lord appeared to him in a blazing fire so there's this angel of the lord and the phrase angel of the lord means messenger of yahweh Okay, This angel of the Lord appears. And the angel of the Lord has already showed up a few times in the Bible. Uh, The angel of the Lord is the one that stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac in Genesis 22, which we looked at a few weeks ago when Isaac was ready to pick up the knife and kill his son. It was the angel of the Lord that stopped him at the last second and provided a ram for uh, Abraham to sacrifice. It was the angel of the Lord that protected God's people when they crossed through the Red Sea. That's previously in Exodus. So when they get and they're trapped between a body of water and the Egyptians uh, right, that are going to capture them and kill them, it's the angel of the Lord that splits the sea and protects them as they walk across. The angel of the Lord actually stands between the Hebrew people and the Egyptian people to protect God's people as they cross the Red Sea. Uh, It was the angel of the Lord that called Gideon, When Gideon was basically hiding in a hole in the ground, hiding from uh, the enemy army, trying to get some food, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, which is not irony, it's prophecy, because Gideon, although he's hiding in the ground in the moment, is actually going to become a mighty warrior, so... The angel of the Lord is in the Old Testament dozens of times. Uh, if, you, if you just found a concordance or used your Bible app to find the, where the angel of the Lord appears, the angel of the Lord appears a variety of times. This is not the first time that Moses, I'm sorry, this is the, this is the first time that Moses has encountered the angel of the Lord, but it's not the last time that he'll encounter the angel of the Lord because it's going to be the same angel of the Lord that leads them through the Red Sea. But this angel of the Lord appears to him in a blazing fire. At this point, Moses has been living by himself, essentially, with his small little family shepherding sheep for 40 years. We don't have any record of him ever having an experience like this. This was not a daily occurrence in his life. This is a brand new moment. Moses is about 80 years old, and he's having this probably first-time experience with Yahweh. This is a brand new thing, and it marks kind of a new period in Moses' life because his first 40 years he's living in Egypt he's an adopted son of the Pharaoh and he's living in luxury he ends up killing a man and running away and hiding for 40 years in the wilderness and now God is sending him back to the place where he to back to the scene of the crime to bring every all of his people, his, his family, his kinfolk, the Hebrew people out of slavery. So The angel of the Lord appears to him in a blazing fire. But look at verse four. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Okay, just follow me here. Who exactly is it in this burning bush? Because first it said it's the angel of the Lord. But now it says that God called to him from the midst. And then if you go down to verse 6, this voice that's talking to him out of the bush says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Okay, so first, the author says it's God. Then the speaker from the bush says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Moses hides his face because he understood that now he's looking at God. So the author, the speaker, and the subject in this passage all understand that this is God. And you might say, well, I thought it was the angel of the Lord. I thought it was the messenger of Yahweh, and now it says it's God. So is it, the, is it the angel of the Lord, or is it God? It's both. The angel of the Lord is the Lord. Now, I don't know exactly how this works. This is the crazy thing about this passage Uh, in this passage, the angel of the Lord is a messenger of God and also God. Do we know of anyone else in the Bible that's sent from God and still is God? Jesus, right? So the angel of the Lord is sent from God, but is God. Now, I don't know how that works, and I'm okay not knowing how that works, but I just know that this messenger of God is also God, which introduces this concept that there are distinct persons that are also divine. Okay? We, would te- we would call this the beginning of the idea of the Trinity uh, because we would say that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father are distinct, yet they are all divine. Jesus is not the Father, The Father is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. They're three distinct persons. It's not God in three forms or God in three modes. It's three persons, yet they're all God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. Yet it's not God putting on a different outfit or God putting on a different disguise all through this. It's God revealing himself and he shows us that He's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I don't have an explanation of that. Pastor John Eric has a really good explanation, pretty much answers every question you'll ever have if you want to ask him about that sometime. Uh, But I just understand it this way, and this is what the Bible teaches plainly. There's only one God, but Jesus is God, the Father's God, the Holy Spirit's God, yet they're not the same person. So I don't know how that works exactly. You know, Sometimes I come home and the house is clean and I didn't clean it and I don't know who cleaned it. I don't ask questions. I just take it by faith. Some mysterious being, probably my wife, cleaned the house and she is mysterious. So we start with this angel of the Lord in the bush. We learn that the angel of the Lord is also God. That does not mean there's more than one God. There's only one God. We're just seeing here that God operates in such a way that he's, uh, he, he, there's two divine persons, but they're, they're distinct, but they're divine. And eventually we learn also about the Holy Spirit, and that's where we get the Trinity from. Moses responds with reverence and fear, uh, I want to throw up a quote by Tony Evans. Tony Evans is one of my favorite Bible teachers and pastors. This is what he comments on this passage. He says, the angel of the Lord is, in fact, God. The angel of the Lord, when equated with God, is Jesus Christ operating in the Old Testament. He's a manifestation of the second person of the Trinity who is the spokesperson of the Father. The reason that uh, God reveals himself in the angel of the Lord, and Moses kind of implies this is, the Jewish people believe that if you saw God face-to-face, you would die, and that's true. You, your face would melt off just like an Indiana Jones, and you would fall over dead, and so God would send the angel of the Lord, which is also God, but the angel of the Lord was an opportunity for mankind to see God face-to-face without dying, okay? Just like Jesus Like, you know, they said no one had ever seen God, not realizing that Jesus was God. Jesus was an opportunity for us to see God in human form without getting our faces fried off, to use a biblical term, right? Well, and that's why you're going to need a whole new body when you get to heaven, because the one you have is too flammable. When you get to heaven and you see God, and I've talked about those four living creatures that are covered in eyes in the book of Revelation and how they just have all these eyes that stare at God, which is why they're constantly screaming out songs because they're just overwhelmed at God's glory. You're going to need whole, a whole new set of eyes, new face, new mouth, new lungs when you get to heaven because that's what it's going to take for you to be able to be in God's glory and not turn into a tinderbox. So... uh after Jesus is born in the New Testament you'll see that we don't see the angel of the Lord anymore the angel of the Lord doesn't show up anymore now that is not to be confused with angels of the Lord there are still angels in the Bible but the one that's called the angel of the Lord stops appearing after Jesus is incarnated or after Jesus is born so my understanding, and I believe this is true, and I'll try to outline this today, is that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is just Jesus showing up early. It's just Jesus showing up to Abraham. And every time that Jesus shows up in the, in the form of the angel of the Lord, I shouldn't say form, but every time that Jesus shows up as the angel of the Lord, he, he leaves us a little hint. When he showed up to Abraham to stop Abraham from killing Isaac, he provided a ram, right? That sacrifice, we talked about that a few weeks ago. When Jesus shows up here with Moses, what's he do? Uh, he um, provides a burning bush, and then also we learn that God's name is Yahweh, which is where we're gonna go now. If you go to verses 13 and 15, we, see, we learn more about God here. See how much God is teaching us about our, himself, right? In verses 13 and 15, Moses says to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I'll say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, they may say to me, well, what's his name? What should I say to them? So Moses is saying, listen, I'm going to do what you told me to do. I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to tell them you sent me. But they're going to test me and they're going to say, well, what's God's name? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So God tells him, and we know God's name is Yahweh, but this is God essentially saying, my name is I Am. Which, if you take the, okay, if you go back to fourth grade English class, they probably taught you about verbs and how to conjugate verbs. One of the, one of the basic verbs in the English language is be. I am going to be late or I'm going to be at the game, right? The verb be. But depending on how you use it, you conjugate that verb. I was late. I am coming. The way you conjugate the the verb be is am is are, was were, right? You don't say I be late. I mean, maybe you do. But you're supposed to say I was late. You don't say I be here or maybe you do. You're supposed to say I am here right? The way we take the verb be and and use it in different ways in the English languages, we say am, is, are, was, were. Am is a form of be, and it's God just saying, I I am. I be. I is. I are. I was. I were. I just exist. I don't You didn't give me a name. Like Moses is asking the wrong question, basically. He's asking God to give proof of ID. And God's like, I don't have to prove anything to you. I just exist. I am, is, are, was, were. I, I've always been. In the Bible, when you named something, you, were, you had authority over it. Adam and Eve named the animals because they had authority over the animals. When parents name children, they have authority over that place. When a person formed a new city or place, they got to name that place. No one gets to name God because no one has authority over God. No one gave God a name. God told us what he decided his name is. Does that make sense? Like I could get, get to name my kids because I have responsibility and authority for them. No one got to name God. God just has a name that he tells us and he shares it with us and he discloses it and reveals it to us. So God is self-existent, independent, and he is the creator and sustainer of all things. And that's the point he's trying to make when he says, I just am. A name? You want a name? A name they're going to recognize, like they gave me a name? The name they call me? No, no, no. I just am. I am. I am God. Unlike all the other gods that the people gave names to, like the Old Testament, the false god of Baal, or the false god of Moloch, all these gods that were given names by people. We didn't give God his name. God had a name, and he told us what his name was. Does that make sense? So when he says, I am, he's kind of saying, I'm not going to answer the question you asked because I don't need to prove my ID to you. Um, And and he just says, I am the self-existent, independent creator and sustainer of all things. So this is a little bit about the experience that Moses has at the burning bush. Let's just review. Moses sees a burning bush. The angel of the Lord speaks to him out of the burning bush, but then the angel of the Lord, he finds out, is God. So the angel of the Lord is God, and that God reveals himself as I am. Everybody, could you all repeat after me, I am? Okay, great. Because we're about to run into the New Testament and see where Jesus applied this name, I am. If you go to John chapter 8. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, I preached on Jesus as the Son of Man, and I shared with you that when Jesus was standing on trial, and he said, uh, this, You'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with glory seated at the right hand of the Father, and how the high priest tore his robes. And I always thought, Man, what a weird, what an overreaction. All Jesus is saying is he's the son of man. Why are you tearing your robes? And as I learned through that passage, that's not an overreaction. The high priest essentially was understanding Jesus to be claiming himself to be God. And the high priest is saying, you're guilty of blaspheming. Well, this is kind of similar to that. In John chapter eight, uh, starting in verse 53, Jesus has been making such radical and audacious claims about who he is that the religious leaders cannot believe him and they actually accuse Jesus of having a demon. They're like, yeah, this, this Jesus, you know, he's saying some pretty wild stuff. I think he is a demon. You know how demons are always, you know, healing the sick and ca- uh, casting out other demons, right? That's a joke. Tough crowds today. So they're actually accusing Jesus of having a demon because Jesus is making claims about himself and demonstrating so much spiritual power, they don't have another explanation other than, I don't know, he must be demonized. So in uh, John 8, starting in verse 53, the religious leaders say to Jesus, Surely, you're not greater than our father Abraham who died because Jesus was making these big statements about himself. You're not better than Abraham, are you? The prophets also died. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Which is what I say to my kids. Who do you think you are? Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. So Jesus is saying, listen, if I hype myself up, that's nothing, but if the Father draws attention to me or glorifies me, and you say that the Father is God, right, and you have not come to know him, but I know him, ouch. And if I say that I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. So he's saying, listen, the father glorifies me, but you don't even know the father. If I said I didn't know the father, I'd be lying like you. (laughs) Jesus, not passive aggressive, uh, pretty direct in the way he communicates. And then he says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day And he saw it and was glad. Now, this would have been almost like a smack in the face to the way they thought. Because these religious people would always look back at the good old days. Oh, we wish we could have lived in the day of Moses. We wish we could have lived in Abraham, the days of Abraham. Kind of like the way most Christians think. And Jesus says, you want to go back to the days of Abraham? Abraham looked forward to me. Which, if I can just apply to us, Can we stop pretending that the best days are behind us? That Oh, I wish I could live in the days of Moses. Yeah? You want to wander through the wilderness? I wish I could have seen all the miracles in the Gospels. You can. Jesus said greater things we were going to do. I don't know why we always think like the people that didn't have the Bible (laughs) have it better off than we do. Right? Everything, they wish they could live now. And we're wishing we could have lived then. So Jesus is saying, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. So the, the Jewish religious leaders said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? They're saying, because Abraham, by the way, is that's 2,000 years ago at this point. Abraham was 2,000 years before Jesus and, and Jesus is saying, Abraham Abraham, look forward to me. So they're like, Abraham's 2,000 years ago. You're not even 50. You knew Abraham? So, oh yeah, they say, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And then in verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Or I was, or I is, or I am, or I are. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, just like that high priest that tore his robes when Jesus said he was the son of man, these people hear Jesus say, I am, and they pick up some stones. Why do they pick up stones? What were they understanding Jesus to be saying? They were understanding Jesus to say, you know, I am, I am, I am. And they were like, Yeah, this dude's got to die. You cannot get away with saying that. You cannot get away with claiming to be the God of Israel. And of course, that's true unless you are the God of Israel. And somehow Jesus escapes. They picked up stones to throw at him, but he hid himself. Somehow he manages to get out of that situation. Gives me hope for when days of persecution come. I'm allowed to hide. Jesus did. So they ask him, who they ask him in verse 53 who do you make yourself out to be and his answer is I am I am I am Yahweh I'm the one that was in the burning bush remember you go back to that story in Exodus where the one in the burning bush said my name is I am and now Jesus is saying that's him I was at the burning bush not only do I go back to Moses I go back to Abraham who was even before Moses so Uh, Jesus claims to have existed before the birth of Abraham by claiming I am. Now before he got to this, Jesus has already told them, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am from above, I am the son of man, and now he's just saying I am. And he actually goes on later, he says, I am the true vine, I am The the Lamb of God, I mean, we we learn all these things about who Jesus is, but at this point he's simply saying, I am. The crowd interprets this as a blasphemous claim to be God, which means that they understood what he was saying, they just didn't understand who was saying it. They got it right. He's claiming to be God, yep, and he's right. So they understood what he was saying, they just didn't understand that he could say that. And so when people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher, but he never claimed to be God. When people say that, they're ignorant of the context that Jesus was living in. He said he was God very clearly, which is why he was crucified for claiming to be God. He never stood up and said this phrase, I am God. But he did say, I am the son of man. He did say, I am I am. He did equate himself with Yahweh. He did forgive sin, and only God forgives sin. So he made all these culturally meaningful statements to lead people to understand that he was God. So the crowd interprets this as a claim to be God, which is why they want to kill him. Now, let me just review the life of Jesus really quickly. Who, who is Jesus of Nazareth who walks around claiming to be the Son of Man from Daniel 7, claiming to be seated at the right hand of God, to have received the title deed to the earth, who's going to ride on the clouds of heaven, which only God does. This is, Jesus goes around saying this about himself, right? He calls himself the Son of Man over 80 times in the New Testament. He goes around claiming to be the great I Am. In Philly, we would have 302'd him. He'd be at Friends Hospital right now claiming to be the great I am. Not only did Jesus make these huge, bold, in-your-face claims about himself, he backed it up with a life of miracles. It's one thing to go around and say, I'm the son of man, I'm the lamb of God, I'm the great I am, and to prove it, I'm gonna go ahead and walk on water. I'm gonna go ahead and multi- multiply bread and fish. I'm going to go ahead and heal every sick person you bring to me. I'm going to cast every demon out that I see. Who is he? He's got to be God. He's proving it to them with with these acts of power. And so that puts all of these people that lived in Jesus' day in this position where they have to make a decision. Is Jesus, is he really who he says he is? Or do we come up with some other explanation like he's demonized? Or do we come up with some other explanation like the miracles are fake? Or do we come up with some other explanation like, you know, he's a magician? And some people came up with other explanations and they didn't want to make a decision about Jesus and Jesus got so on their nerves because he kept putting the decision right in their face that they said, let's just get rid of him and let's kill him they thought that by killing him they were putting an end to all of this and for three days I might have had a break but when the guy who claims to be God is killed and then three days later is walking around again I mean come on how stubborn do you have to be to reject that and so that's why Jesus was surrounded by this group of followers who would rather die than deny him They had seen too much to roll over on him. They had had seen too much to walk away. They had seen him cast demons out of people. They had seen him heal every sick person that was brought to him. They had seen the way that he taught them about love and forgiveness and brotherhood and community. And they had seen him say, I'm the son of man. I am, I am. And so, Many of those that were closest to Jesus found that the most logical thing to do was to just believe him. It was—it actually was a stretch of logic and a stretch of faith to deny it because there was too much evidence, and they had to follow him. So in this story, as if we trace from the burning bush to John eight, this is what we are learned: that the angel of the Lord shows up in the burning bush, right? But we find out that the angel of the Lord is I am. And who is I am? Jesus. Well, God, and Jesus says he's I am. Which is how we come to the conclusion that the angel of the Lord, when he pops up in the Old Testament, is just Jesus showing up. It's crazy how sometimes you'll meet someone and not realize who you're meeting. And then five years down the road, you ever... Well, for instance, I remember in 1997, I was a teenager and we had just started attending a new church and I was in Sunday school for teenagers and we hadn't been there that long and this one day, this new family came to church and they had two daughters and one of them was this little redhead, her name was Kendra Bacon, and I thought, Bacon, what a name, and I teased her. Little did I know who I was meeting that day, right? And also, by the way, mocking someone's last name is a good way to get them to marry you and give you three kids. Worked for me. I brought home the bacon. (laughs) Oh, you laugh at that. Okay, well, unplanned jokes always work better. You know, sometimes you'll meet a person, a doctor, a... uh, uh, someone on the bus, a neighbor, and not realize that, you know, and not know, obviously, there's no way of knowing 10 years from now how important a place they're going to play in your life, right? Like, oh, I remember meeting the lady that, there's a lady that used to work in a church in Lancaster, and I met her. Her name was Joy Burchell, and her, her husband was a pastor in Lancaster, and uh, I met her, and she said, Jim Rudd, is your mother Melinda Rudd? I said, yeah, how do you know that? She's like, were you born in Meadville, Pennsylvania? I said, yes. And she said, I checked your mom into the hospital the night she gave birth to you. I was like, what? How old are you? Don't tell her I said that. But she, uh, she met my mother the night she gave birth to me. I didn't know that someday I'd be sitting in her kitchen eating dinner. And so we see Jesus popping up the Old Testament. You don't even know that it's Jesus until you get to the New Testament and there's more light shed on it, Right? And these, these places where he pops up as the angel of the Lord. So now we know this. They didn't know this. We do know this, which is why they wanted to live in our day. Right? I don't know why we want to live back in the days when there was less knowledge about God. But we know that the angel of the Lord popping up in the Old Testament is Jesus. That doesn't mean every angel is Jesus. But when it's called the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, that that's Jesus showing up. And you can always learn something about the gospel when you look at those stories. Now, when Jesus said that he was I am, how do the people respond? They raised up stones, they lifted up stones, and they wanted to kill him, right? I think that as followers of Jesus and those who believe in Jesus, we should be lifting up Hands lifting up prayers, lifting up praise, and not ready to kill him, but ready to exalt him or to, you know, like to worship him. So I actually want to close. If I just want to ask maybe like three of you, if you would be willing to pray out loud. We're not going to have any microphones, so you're going to have to do this nice and loud. Pray out loud, short prayers. Instead of lifting up stones, we're going to lift up prayers where we exalt God, where we uh, exalt Jesus, Praise Jesus, glorify Jesus, and worship Jesus. That's the way we're supposed to respond when we learn more about who Jesus is. Worship is our heart's response to God's revelation. And so I want to make sure we have a time for responding. So I'm going to turn it over to you and just ask if maybe three of you would pray out prayers of uh, gratitude and praise and exaltation of Jesus before we wrap up. You're going to have to be brave, some of you. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, you asked a question to Abraham. You said, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? And if there's nothing, the answer is no. There's nothing too difficult You you break yourself up into one person, three people, however you want. If you want to be the angel of the Lord, you're the angel of the Lord. If you want to be our Savior, you're our Savior. If you want to be God, you are God. We worship you, Lord we love you glorify yourself even more thank you for this good teaching today simplicity as Pastor Jim has laid it out before us Lord just to see the reality that you are ever present that you have always been here this is not Jesus arriving on the scene and coming into existence that he has always existed that he is God that this is a clear and true truth that is put before us today and I just thank you that you have made this known to us you have put us in this day and age that we are able to see you plainly and clearly we don't have to look forward to what is to come, Lord, you have come, you have shown us who you are, and I thank you for that. One of the things that I've learned about Jesus following him for 25 years is that he hides in broad daylight. Uh, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how else to say it. he hides in broad daylight. Like, he, he's not hard to find, but you have to be looking. And then once you're looking, you realize he's everywhere. How did I miss this for so long? It's been re- he's been right in front of my eyes. But- so he's hidden, but he's not. You know what I mean? If you're looking, you'll see him everywhere. It's like uh, once you buy a car, all of a sudden you start seeing like that car everywhere. right? When I bought a Honda Fit, I realized... Does everyone drive Honda Fits? Because I never noticed them before, and now they're everywhere, right? And they're all full of big hairy men. And it's kind of like that with Jesus. You, when you see him, all of a sudden he starts showing up everywhere. You know, he, but it's but he's always been there. You're just more aware. Your your uh, eyes have been tuned in. So. Jesus, you, you hide in broad daylight. That's why you taught in parables. You put it out there for us to hear, but we had to have a heart that was curious and a heart that wanted to understand and that was seeking after you. Lord, David wrote in Psalm 27, you say to us, seek my face. And David's heart said, your face, O Lord, I will seek. And that's our response to you, Lord. You're telling us to look for you, and we're, we're saying in response, for you, we will look. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna thank you for joining us today. Feel free to stick around for a little bit. There is no 11 o'clock service today, so you have a little bit of time to say hello and bump some elbows. And thank you for coming, and see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to True Vine Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at com.